and uh, we're starting this new series. It's called Channels. Um, I'm really excited about this for a lot of different reasons. I've been kind of a couple of weeks ahead of you guys in this, and uh, um, before we jump into that, I'll just say, has anybody noticed my shirt here? Huh? It says, I am the Brighton, right? I am the Brighton, little mountain's teeth. In case you didn't know, our friend Ben just finished a CD, huh? Second disc, Dunzo. Now, if you got in on the front end of the Kickstarter deal, you'll know you might, you've got a T-shirt and a CD and that kind of thing. It's forthcoming for the rest of you. So, I mean, I don't want to brag or, you know, toot my own horn that I've been listening to the disc and loving it, but I've been listening to the disc and loving it. So uh, uh, when those come available, uh, we're going to celebrate with Ben. And uh, when's, when's the release party, by the way? September 6th. Are you sure? September the 6th, so write that down, uh, come support Ben, and uh, that'll be a great night of music. Um, so, I had to say that before we get in. Uh, so the series, <clears throat> Channels, what is this series, you might be asking, and here's the idea. Uh, I start with a few assumptions or a few presuppositions that I think are good to get out of the way at the beginning. Number one, John chapter 4, there's a story about Jesus and he meets a woman at the well. Now, in this encounter, Jesus and this woman talk about water And throughout, this is probably the most vivid uh, uh, case in the scriptures where we get this connection of God to this kind of reservoir of water, this living water idea. But all throughout the scriptures, there are times where the the story tells us about God and connects us or connects God to this idea of living water, this, this thing that satisfies, this reservoir that never runs out that we can actually tap into that. So that's one assumption. Second assumption is that we have the possibility or the opportunity to live connected to or tapped into this reservoir of who God is or what God is. Uh, So assumption one, that the scriptures talk about God in this way. Assumption two, that we have the possibility or the opportunity to actually live connected to this. But then three, uh, that these disciplines that we're going to sort of walk through over the next couple of weeks, over the next couple of months... um, These are actually connected to the best way to be human. Now, that might sound a little bizarre, and uh, let me try to unpack that a little bit. In the church, oftentimes we talk about um, salvation, this idea that God has saved us. And this is a a very, very important part of the story and of the Bible and all all of this. But when when we talk about salvation, often we talk about, like, Jesus has saved us from sin, sin and death and these kinds of things, and Jesus redeems us, and I affirm that 100%. And I want to sort of add to that and ask, what is it that Jesus comes to do when Jesus is revealed? Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, you know, becomes a human. What is it that Jesus does or comes to do? And I would say not only to redeem us from sin and death, but to put on display, to manifest, to make known the best possible version of what it means to be human. Right? Paul talks about Jesus as the second Adam. If Adam was the first human, Adam, <clears throat> excuse me, Adam and Eve, the first humans, Paul refers to Jesus as the second human, or in other places, the first fruit of new creation. And I would submit that when Jesus comes and reveals Jesus, or God reveals himself to us in Jesus, that, <clears throat> man, I got something going on here. <clears throat> excuse me, I apologize. Uh, that, that what Jesus comes to show or do not only is connected to sin, but also this full display, this manifestation of the fullest human. What does it mean to be fully and truly human? So this series is about tapping into some of the practices that help us, or I think that are connected to things that Jesus, we see Jesus doing, that 
offer the best way to be human. Um, Things like silence, things like solitude, things like simplicity, secrecy, things like fasting, uh, prayer, reading the scripture. These things, if you study like biologically and chemically and what's happening in our own bodies, science will tell you that these things are actually highly beneficial to a human being. That to be quiet and to sit and be restful, uh, these things actually do something in us practically as like biological beings, but they also, I want to say, tap into things that are connected to the essence of what it means to be human. So over the next couple weeks as we go on this journey, I want to invite you into that, and I want to sort of set the stage that this is what I'm hoping, what we're hoping um, we're doing and participating in. Does that sound good? Um, Can I, I don't know where Eric is, can you turn up the house lights a little bit? Um, I feel like it's a little darker than normal, I can't see people, but uh, maybe it's just me, I don't know. Okay. Uh, Here's what this is not. Here's what this is not. This series is not about rules and regulations. Um, This series is not about all of the things that you should do or shouldn't do uh, and the ways by which we we, we talk about, well, this person is a good Christian or this person's not because they do this and this person don't do that. These are not about the ways in which we assess one another or assess ourselves and sort of differentiate. You know, we sort of peg one another by, well, they do this or that. That is not what this is about. This is not more law. Okay? This is an invitation into something that I believe, and, and hopefully you trust me on this as your pastor, that um, this is actually good for us. This, is, this will be good for you uh, as we participate in this. This is not about, I remember when I was in high school, did anybody ever do the 40-hour famine? Everybody, anybody do this? I was in like eighth grade and I did this thing, the 40-hour famine, I think it was through World Vision. And this, you know, 40 hours, you fast, you don't eat food, and it's this sort of like connected to the world hunger and all these other things. For an eighth grader, this was nothing more than hanging out with cute chicks and, uh, you know, they think I'm super spiritual because I'm doing this 40-hour famine. And everybody knows girls are way more mature than boys. So, you know, the, the girls that we're dealing with, they're like way ahead of us. We're trying to make, make them think we're cool. So this was nothing more than that, right? It was a way by which we sort of differentiated ourselves. This, that's what this is. This is not about that, all right? Um, at least for me. I don't know about you. At least for me. But the idea of channels, right? My hope is that this metaphor um, begins to work for us, that this is about participating in certain disciplines and practices that actually begin to groove our hearts, not like music groove, but run grooves in our spirits so that we can access the God who wants to give um, himself away, so that we can actually position and posture ourselves in a way that we can receive God most fully. So, I'll start with a question, and the question is this. I wonder if, in fact, God in the scriptures is revealed uh, or talked about as this reservoir of, um, of water, this living water. I wonder how many of us walk in this morning who are just thirsty, uh, who are looking for a drink, something that satisfies Uh, I wonder if there's anybody here who came in this morning where you feel like you've been walking for a long time and it's hot and it's dry and there hasn't been any water for a long time. Like it's the desert out there and it's lonely and it's hard. I wonder if there's anybody here um, for whom that might ring true. I wonder if there's anybody who feels like it's been a really, really long time since I have tasted and seen God where it's like the lights off somehow, and uh, I am just grappling for something. And I recognize um, 
I'm just blown away week in and week out. Uh, I just assume that, and maybe you do this, um, I assume that what you present when you walk through these doors is kind of like who you are. And what we present to one another when we walk through these doors into a place like this is kind of like who we are. And over and over and over and over again, I am blown away at um, just the level of the depth of hurt and the stories that I hear and the struggles that we face that we don't present in, an, in a setting like this. And so I just know, I'm, I'm very confident of the fact that for many of us, we come through doors into a place like this, and it's not everything that we might present on the outside. And so I, I'm just wondering if there's anybody who's thirsty. And my commitment to you as we go through this uh, journey is um, I, have, I have such a deep-seated belief and conviction that if we will participate in these things, if you, I don't do guarantees, I'm, I'm not that kind of guy, and I don't like that kind of religion or spirituality, but I, I, I would guarantee you, if you will carve out time in your, in your life and in your heart to participate in these things, that God will meet you. I just believe it because this is the way it works over and over and over. And as we unpack silence and solitude today uh, and do that, um, I hope that you, you trust me. Um, so here's how this is going to work as we, as we do this series. Each of these weeks, we're going to take a discipline, and we're going to try to explore it a little bit from the scriptures and, and elsewhere, uh, and then we're actually going to do it together. And so today, um, I'm going to, towards the end of this, uh, try to create some space where we can actually just sit uh, in silence and, and in solitude, and I'm going to try to kind of set you up uh, for this week. And each week, I'm going to give you a challenge and an invitation for you to participate in something for the next seven days. Uh, until we come back together next week. And granted, some of you meet throughout the week and you see one another, but when we gather next week, there will be an opportunity for you to share, if any of you want to, uh, just what that experience was like for you. Uh, things will be really foreign. They don't, we don't do them very often, uh, many of us, and in our culture, they've been lost in, in a lot of ways. And so we'll just have a chance to share and uh, for you to say, this is what I experienced, or this was really hard for me. Or uh, I met God in a way that I haven't in a very, very long time. So that will be kind of how it works. We'll talk about it. We'll do it together, hopefully give you some tools. And then I want to invite you to participate in that over the next week. Does that sound good? All right, so silence and solitude, not a very easy one for me. Uh, truth be told, I remember um, I grew, in, through college and uh, kind of my maturation as a young man, I hated, I hated, hated, hated being alone. I hated silence, and I hated being quiet. Um, you might not be able to tell that about me because I carry myself in such a way that I don't let on to that, but I hated silence. I, I, I took a fishing trip where I was going to be alone for a couple days, and like up in the mountains in Colorado was going to be like this big sort of like spiritual experience, and I went, and I got up there, and I set up my tent, and I, and I stopped, and I looked around, and there was nobody there. <laughs> I was alone, totally alone, and I actually, I got so freaked out, and I hated it so much, I packed up my tent, and I went home like two days early because I hated it so much. <laughs> so I've, I've come a long ways in my own journey in silence and in solitude, but I recognize that this one is, can be very scary. So I want to offer a couple of ways or a couple of reasons why I think this is important, and then uh, we'll, we'll actually do this. So first and foremost, I would say 
Uh, the scriptures value silence and solitude over and over and over and over and over again. If you read the story of the Bible, this one comes up again and again and again and again. And I would submit as a reader of the text, as a reader of the scriptures, when the Bible uh, wants to say something and it says it again and again and again and again, it's, it's, it's something that's very important. And actually, in, uh, I've been studied, got a chance to study with a rabbi a few times lately and, and get to do this again. It's awesome. And one of the things that I was just astounded by from Rabbi Allen, uh, he talks about the desert. And if you read the scriptures, you recognize that over and over and over again, people are led out into the desert or out into the wilderness. And the word wilderness in Hebrew is a word midbar, and it has the root word of debar. And this word debar means to speak with one or, or to be spoken to. So in Hebrew, in the context of the Hebrew scriptures, when somebody goes out to the wilderness and you start paying attention to this, you can sort of insert, this is the place where God speaks. Over and over and over and over again. Think of Moses. He, finds, he, he comes upon a burning bush in the middle of the desert. Think of uh, Jacob. Jacob flees his brother Esau into the wilderness and he wrestles with God and God gives him a new name. Think of Joseph. He's left in the desert by his brothers in the wilderness and all of a sudden God shows up and he gets these visions and Pharaoh and up and, and the whole deal and Israel is saved because of it. Think of uh, Elijah, right? He flees Jezebel in 1 Kings 19 and where does he go? Into the desert and what happens? It's God's not in the earthquake or the wind or the fire, but God's in the silence. Over and over and over again, there's this theme, this motif that keeps coming back in the scriptures of being in the wilderness, in the desert, and God speaking. Have you ever been out in the desert before? Has anybody ever been to the desert? I took a trip when I was in Colorado, uh, uh, when I was uh, on a golf team. And I, the one thing that struck me when I was out there is it is just so quiet. It's just silence. No cars, no freeways, no horns, no, just quiet. So over and over and over again, the scriptures, Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. In, in, the, in the gospels, Jesus in Luke 1, 3, 6, and then uh, I think it's, uh, I said Mark 1, 3, and 6, and then Luke 5, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So the scriptures want uh, if you're listening, the scriptures want to tell us that silence and solitude, being in the wilderness, being in the desert, so to speak, is a place where God speaks, and it's a place where we should find ourselves, or we do find ourselves at times. If you go back in history, and you begin to read the church fathers and the church mothers who have kind of gone before us, some of the, the, the more quoted ones or the ones who have written, I'll just read it. Uh, a guy named Thomas Akempis says, In silence and quietness, the devout soul makes progress and learns the hidden mysteries of the scriptures. Uh, often in, in evangelicalism, we talk about the importance of the scriptures, uh, and it's something that we strive for. And those who have gone before us, those, those who are long dead, but who we have deemed wise or important, or we've quoted them or read them over and over, they say this all the time, if you're listening, that silence and solitude is absolutely critical when we want to interpret and understand the word of God. It's just, it, it's the way it works. Um, I got this from uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia. It says, all writers on the spiritual life uniformly recommend, nay, little Shakespeare there, nay, command under penalty of total failure, the practice of silence. So anybody, and, and, and this, is, this is outside of Christianity as well. 
right? If Buddhism, Buddhism Hinduism, uh, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, I mean, all of the, the major religions of the, of the world say that silence and meditation or silence and solitude is important. And if it's really actually true, is it any wonder that they found it as well, right? Is it any wonder that other people who maybe don't follow Jesus say, yeah, this is important. If it's true, why are we surprised that, yeah, all kinds of people say that this is important, that this is something we should be doing. Uh, a woman named Teresa of Avila, she was a, a mystic in the, I think it was the, the mid- medieval time. She wrote this book, The Interior Castle. She talks about the building of one's soul for the dwelling of God. Uh, all over the place. Uh, one of my favorites, uh, I'll skip the John Climacus one. We'll jump down to Richard Foster, somebody who writes in our time. He says, the fruit of solitude is increased sensitivity and compassion for others. So when we do this, he says, the, the fruits of it, increased sensitivity, compassion for others. There comes a new freedom to be with people. How often are we with people, but we're not really with them? Foster says, there comes, when we do this, when we practice this, there comes a new freedom to be with people. There is an attentiveness to their needs, a new responsiveness to their hurts. Friends, from Jesus, before Jesus, Jesus to now, people who have been interested in the spiritual life, and in particular the Christian life, have said silence and solitude is important. It's not that hard to convince that this is important. Last, I would say, before we, before we do this, um, silence liberates the imagination. Uh, this last week, my wife and I and a couple of friends, we got to go camping. And uh, I would liken this to bringing kids out into the wilderness and taking them camping. You know, when we're at home, it's like this terrible struggle, uh, you know, to keep them away from the TV and the internets and the, you know, the iPods and the phones and all this other stuff. And, uh, and, and it's like, this, this constant battle, maybe it's not with your kids, it is with mine. Uh, it's this constant battle with them, and it's like, it just sucks their creativity dry, these things. And I just hate it. I hate it. Uh, so we take them camping this last weekend, and it was, it was amazing. Like, from the moment we get there, they start doing things that they would never do at home, right? They run and find these other kids that are camping next door, and they're, they're, they're like, well, they do this at home too, but they're doing like gymnastics and play, you know, doing cartwheels and flips and all this other stuff. Then they started playing bocce ball. At one point, I walk over and Lyndon, my four-year-old, has got a green bocce ball and she's playing bocce ball with these other kids. I'm like, seriously, who is this? And how, who, where, where's Lyndon? Um, they, uh, they, they're, they're hunting for fireflies. That was like the, the ep, you know, the sort of climax of, of, of Friday. Thursday night, they're like, what, are, what is that light in the, you know, they're like, what in the world's going on here? There's blinking lights in the trees. And then they realize that these are bugs that act. They're lightning bugs. They light up. They have little, you know, butts that light up. So they just think this is fascinating, you know. And actually, like, if you smash them, I don't recommend this, you know. But if you smash them, the little ir- the iridescent glow is, it's pretty bizarro. So set Friday night, this was like the coolest thing. They're like, let's hunt for fireflies. This is what they wanted to do. It was just nuts. And for me, it does the same thing for me. I'm sitting there on Friday. We're trying to th- figure out something to do. And for whatever reason, I start thinking about junior high. And we used to do this thing called rock bouncing. Did anybody ever do this in rivers? So we went on a canoe trip, you know, like canoes, the whole deal. And you put on a life jacket like a diaper and you zip it. Well, it's kind of like you zip it down instead of zipping it up because it's upside down. And then you find a rapids, a, like a real good one. And you jump in the water and you like bounce down the rapids on your butt with the life jacket. And it's called rock bouncing. Now, 
I don't recommend this for anybody, especially if they're a youth pastor leading a youth group trip, because there's all kinds of liabilities that could you know, go wrong here. This is not a very good idea, but it was tons of fun. I mean, it was amazing. And I'm like, we should go rock bouncing. So I'm like, girls, get the life jackets. We're going down to the river. We're going rock bouncing. So we like scaled down this muddy cliff to get to this swimming hole. And I, I, you know, I had just been fishing down there. I'm like, we'll go rock bouncing down this little riffle. It's going to be awesome. Well, it didn't turn out very well because the water's really low and you need a lot of current to do this. But the, the whole point was, like, I would have never thought of this, but I'm out in the woods and all of a sudden, I, like, I'm in a new situation. I want to say that silence does the same thing for our imagination. We live in a world where everything is scripted, where there's no, like, there's no white space, where there's no open space. Where it's like from the morning, the, day, the point we wake up in the morning to the point we go to sleep in the evening, it's like there's all these things that, that are up. And everything that we participate in, there's no, there, it's like it's all there, right? It doesn't require our imagination to interact because it's all there. And I want to say that silence in the same way engages, and I would even go as far as to say liberates our imagination. When we take time to stop, and don't speak, and don't do, what do you have left? What's, you know, the couple of pounds in between your ears? And it's like, when you do this, things start firing that you would normally not pay attention to or not have the capacity to even see or hear. There's this woman, she was a teacher, uh, uh, an elementary arts teacher. Uh, her name's Kathleen Norris, and she did this study, and... Uh, she, she let the, she was an art teacher with elementary kids and she would let the kids come in and let them be totally rambunctious and crazy and wild. And then she like brought them down to this point of silence. And then she had them write about these things. So she said, okay, write about this, the noise and then write about the silence. Here's what she says. She says, inevitably, the silence liberated the imagination of the children. Very few wrote with any originality about making noise, but silence was another matter. Here, their images often had depth and maturity that was unlike anything else they wrote. One boy writes, silence is me sleeping, waiting to wake up. It's like a tree spreading its branches to the sun. One girl wrote, silence is spiders spinning their webs. It's like a silkworm making its silk. Lord, help me know when to be silent. And my favorite one girl writes, silence reminds me to take my soul with me wherever I go. Silence liberates our imagination. I did this, uh, this experiment for 40 days at, at Lent, and uh, I, I covenanted to spend time doing this kind of thing for 40 days in Lent. And uh, there was one morning in particular I was sitting just in silence, and all of a sudden, the video that we show in the beginning, you know, the, the one with the meadow and the really, really compelling light in that beautiful little girl's voice, like I'm sitting in silence, and all of a sudden, like I am there, in this meadow, and I hear Psalm 23 being read over me. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures beside still waters. And it was like in my imagination, for whatever reason, I got to go there, and I got to hear that, and I got to experience that. So I want to submit that, si that silence liberates our imagination. Here's what we're going to do as we kind of wrap up today. Um, I want to kind of lead you in an experience of silence 
Uh, if you have a cell phone or anything that makes noise, I'm going to ask you to turn it off. Um, if you have something that you can't turn off, um, <laughs> just be, be, uh, be aware of the room. We're going to try and create a space here where silence is possible. So um, I want to, and I want to invite you, um, in a couple weeks, we're going to talk about something apophatic and cataphatic. Apophatic is this idea of emptying oneself. And this next week, my challenge to you is to participate in this, this version of silence, okay? Um, and the idea is we, we try to sort of empty what's in our heads so that God might fill it. So we try to be still and try to quiet our hearts and our bodies and everything that we have control of and empty it so that God might fill it. Cataphatic is this discursive, it's this uh, like kind of conversational thing, and you just kind of let your imagination wander. So what I want you to do today is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just sort of usher you into this, and there will, will be five, seven, eight minutes of just pure silence. There will be nothing happening here. And what I want you to do is um, have a word that kind of brings you back. To, to the center, whatever that is. For me this morning, as I kind of practiced for today, it was empty, and then it just sort of morphed into receive. And so it was empty and then receive. So if there's a word you can remember that will just bring you back, uh, as you close your eyes, um, like literally focus on the back of your eyelids, um, just blank, and rest. Um, be still. Don't move. This is really really, really hard. Uh, I'm hoping that as we do this, it becomes easier for us. But the goal is that we be quiet, that we're still, and that we create a space where God can fill us and we can receive. So, if you would, find a space that's comfortable for you. Um, Close your eyes, fold your hands, whatever you want to do to kind of uh, experience this, and I'll just begin with a few instructions and then let it be. Um, you don't have to worry about being startled or kind of what's coming up after. I want you to, you'll, uh, you'll just hear music at the end, just slowly fade it in, and I'm going to read a psalm, uh, and then we'll close in prayer. Um, so don't worry about when it ends. Don't worry about how it's going to happen. Uh, it'll be just that, all right? So if you would, and as we begin, um, I just invite you to pay attention to even the breath that you're taking. Breathe in and breathe out. And in your mind, uh, identify whatever word or concept uh, you want to be the thing that centers you, that brings you back to the center. And if your mind wanders, just that word, concentrate on that word and just be still. The goal being stillness and quiet. And just as you begin, just make your intentions known to God. It might sound something like, God, in the next few minutes, I want to empty the things that are not of you. And I want to make space for you to fill me up. And so for the next few minutes, 
come back to that center and clear out some space for God to move. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.